Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're going over to the West Coast of America to be joined by Mario Martinez, the founder and CEO of Vingresso. Mario, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rian. I appreciate uh, you bringing me on and uh, over here. And I'm excited to be here with you guys. Yeah, chuffed to have you. Well, look, typical fashion with this show, we'll kind of focus on three kind of main areas, early influences, challenges, and pivotal moments. So with the early influences, I believe you grew up in California. And if I'm correct with that, are there any standout favorite memories from your early days there? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I born and raised native Californian. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> never left, never left home. Um, went out to uh, UC Berkeley, uh, which is Cal, and became a bear. And uh, that was actually a, a big moment for me because uh, growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money. In mm-hmm. fact. Uh, you may have heard this once before on one of my podcasts, but uh, we had so little money that when I went to apply to colleges, uh, each application was anywhere between forty and sixty dollars per application to apply, and I only had forty-one dollars that I could have used towards a college application. So I applied to my dream school, and that was Berkeley, and uh, that was uh, I, I. It was all or nothing. So I just basically applied and said. I'm in or I'm going to massage therapy school. <laughs> and somehow I got in. And you asked about a pivotal moment. There, there actually was one. And mm. it is a defining moment in my life that created a insatiable um, perspective and attitude and a, um, a just aggressive uh, um, focus on proving my worth. Um, so, so the story goes after I applied, UC Berkeley usually waits a few months before they let everybody know. And if you look at all the university, California systems, um, all of the, I think it's nine now or 10 UC systems usually send their, their notifications of acceptance or denial sometime between, uh, February and the latest mid-March. Well, UC Berkeley is notoriously known for always being the last one to send it out. So usually you don't get it until somewhere around mid-March. So um, around the mid-March timeframe, I ended up getting my acceptance letter and I just was so elated. And uh, <clears throat> next day we all went in uh, to, to school. And I remember everybody was talking about where they got accepted to because that was the final one. Everybody was waiting for that. And we were in a class uh, of a, one of our AP classes, we call it advanced placement classes. And one of the um, individuals there in the class, I, I know his name, I know exactly what he looks like, I know exactly what he said. He found out that I actually got into UC Berkeley and he did not. And uh, he was pretty miffed about it, namely because on my, what they call SAT scores, I'd gotten a mm-hmm. 990 out of the 1600. Now that was my third try and I'm just a horrible tester. Uh, but all around, I was a 3.96 GPA, uh, football player, varsity player, leadership, 
you know, every single club you can imagine, both academic as well as uh, sports. So I, I would say I, I was a pretty well-rounded individual. And I did that by design because I knew I wasn't a very good test taker um, uh, for no other reason other than I just choked up on big, long tests. With that said, he said to me in front of everyone, well, the only reason why uh, you got into uh, UC Berkeley was because of affirmative action. Now, back then, affirmative action was focused on trying to get um, underprivileged individuals, those with ethnic minority and backgrounds, on, into schools because <clears throat> predominantly it was both Asian and Caucasian individuals that were being accepted as the largest majority of individuals being accepted into those, those, those schools. And when he said that to me, 30 plus people just like stopped. And it's one of those things that you say, to, you may think about, <laughs> about somebody, but you yeah, just yeah. don't say <laughs> that, you know, that they got in because of, their, of, of, their, of the color of their skin. And when he said that, I just looked at him and I said, man, um, well, here's the only thing that I know for sure. I got in uh. and you didn't. <laughs> and, and, you know, he may have been right. Maybe I did get in as a result of affirmative action. Who knows? And if I did, awesome. Hallelujah. But it was that moment in time, that moment that said to me, when I, when I said what I said, I turned around and walked away and the whole class was like, dang, oh, like, you know, it was like one of those things in kids in high school where, you know, it basically it, it was like the roasted him back, if you would, for operative word. And, um, you know, he had nothing to say. I mean, what could you say? I mean, that was like, it was, it was foolish. But I walked away and it was that moment that I said, my dad was right. No matter what I get in terms of life and opportunity, I have, I have to prove that I deserved that opportunity. Nice. And so that pretty much was a pivotal moment in life that has carried me all the way through to this very day when given an opportunity, my perspective is I need to prove that I was given that opportunity for a reason. There's one or two more uh, over the next 20, 30 minutes that I want to talk about and bring up through my research. But before we get to that, You've touched on your father. Uh, who do you think, sticking with the early days, inspired you or had the biggest impact on you when you were growing up? Without a doubt. Yeah. So, you know, my dad, he was a truck driver and we grew up as a poor Mexican family. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things he used to say to me is, you know, son, mijo, he used to say, which is Spanish for son. Um, I, I don't care what you want to be. You could be a truck driver. It makes a good living. I raised a family of five uh, or a family of seven, actually five kids and you know, mom and dad. Um, and uh, you could be a truck driver. You could be a garbage collector. You could be a doctor. You could be a lawyer. I don't care what it is that you want to be. Whatever you choose to be, just be the best at it. Mm -hmm. Right. Just be the best. Now, that created also a very competitive um, spirit in me that I oftentimes have to taper back. You know, oftentimes people don't even know they're competing against me <laughs> because I'm competing against them, right, in my own mm -hmm. mind. Uh, and, and that in itself has its own set of problems that it can create, right? Um, so I oftentimes have to, like, you know, throttle that back somehow, some way. But that, that messaging instilled inside of me that no matter what I was going to do, just be the best at it and, and always prove that the reason why someone or somehow you were given that opportunity that you deserved that opportunity. So that's that definitely my dad was a, a, a um, uh, an individual who influenced that thinking for sure. 
Sounds like you were raised by a great father, but also having spoken to a couple of people who've gotten to know you over the years, uh, you've built your business around your family, really, and you are an incredible father as well, according to others. I know you've got two uh, young boys of your own. Um, there's a quote that I've seen you reference a couple of times, and I'd like to know what's your interpretation or meaning, or how do you interpret this quote? And the quote is, the most expensive thing you can own is a closed mind. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a first off, it's a great, great quote. And yes, I have referenced it uh, a number of times. Um, you know, that, that was one of the things that, um, you know, growing up uh, and all throughout early adulthood, it was, you know, the, the, the fear of trying new things because you're going to fear failing. And uh, if you think about that, that particular quote, um, you know, the most expensive thing you, the best thing you can do for yourself is actually have an open mind. So whenever you, something comes at you, whether it's work or life related, the key to anything in general is be open to accepting and to trying it. Before you knock it, try it. Before you say you don't like it, try it. Before you uh, say you can't uh, actually win or you can't actually do, try it. And that's really what the, the, the premise of, of that quote is based on. Um, and for myself personally, um, when I started my company, I had never been a business owner before. Um, and I had never done anything like this ever in my life. I'd always been inside of corporate. And so when the opportunity presented itself to do this, I figured, well, why not? Let me see if I can actually make a run at this and be successful at making that happen. So um, I ran with it, and that was uh, back in 2016, so six years ago, and fast uh, or five years ago, excuse me. So fast forward, now here we are, and I haven't looked back. Um, so that's been an interesting and fun ride, um, and certainly I never planned on being here. This was not in my uh, my 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 deck of cards, if you would, to be a mm -hmm. business owner. Um, what I did have in my deck of cards that I put, and I always uh, built a, um, a, a, a personal plan, and it was essentially my, um, my whiteboard on an annual basis, and inside there had a career section, and I had two paths. You, it, I, I actually can see the slide right now. On one half, it was a speaker, and on the other half, it was to um, sit in the C-suite, uh, and, and I always planned on it being in the corporate environment, in the C-suite. And being a speaker over here was uh, being a motivational keynote speaker. So funny as it may be, I'm actually now both, but with a twist. Uh, I do speak generally not on motivational techniques. It's on sales mm. and I, uh, all over the world. And now on the right side, I am the CEO, but of a small business, not of a big, large corporate uh, uh, organization. Well, there you go. You've referenced at the very beginning of this podcast, uh, born and raised in california uh but you have left a couple of times because you've traveled a lot of the world you've been to places like the islands of tahiti uh, south africa south korea thailand i'm sure you've been to many others these are just some of the places i found that you've been to uh, and i've referenced that you're a father potentially i don't know if you are or not a dog owner um but with all that said what's one thing that you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you 
Oh boy. Uh, I'm such an open book. As you see, you've, you, you've combed through my social media uh, mm. and I forgot about some of those places. Yeah. Uh, we, I have been to all of them. I do have two boys, 10, uh, 10 soon to be 11 and uh, seven. Uh, what is something someone doesn't know about me? She's, um, what could I or say? Even, or even like a, your favorite place to favorite country you've eaten food in favorite country that you've been in that explored somewhere that blew you away. Um, well, first off the favorite place I've ever been to and the most beautiful place I've ever been to without a doubt, hands down by a mile Tahiti. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is, that is the most beautiful place on earth uh, that I've ever been to. Um, and I would absolutely go there again. It is just stunning. Absolutely stunning. Um, so that, that, I, that I can answer. Um, what other people may not know about me is potentially that I was previously married uh, for eight years and uh, then divorced. Um, and uh, I er, er, married very early on at the age of 21 uh, and uh, was married um, uh, in that scenario. Um, my ex-wife uh, left and that was because we um, separated as a result of her uh, hanging out with my best friend. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I've heard that story two or three times from people, not of you, but others. It's happened to others as well. Nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it happened. I guess it happened. And, and I actually I was in a very good spot. Um, so I married my wife uh, that I've been married to now almost 13 years. And uh, we've got two amazing boys, the uh, age of almost 11 and seven. And we just have a blast. I have a blast with them. I love my boys and I love mm. hanging out with them. And we're just, we're pretty tight. Uh, so tight that uh, they like to be called matching bros. So we have to try to go out and find clothes that match each other. And uh, we all walk around. Um, and uh, in fact, we were in Hawaii just this past uh, a month ago. And uh, one day they came up with this crazy idea that we had to walk around with mohawks. So nice. I uh, structured our hair and, and made them all mohawks, including myself. And I hear a grown man, 45 years old, walking around with the mohawk. <laughs> so Some things that's you have to did. do as a dad, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's, exactly. easy, it's easy to see looking at your socials that you're, uh, you're uh, a huge fan of your two sons. And they obviously mean a lot to you. Um, going back to business for a moment... I know you started your professional career in sales, worked your way up to become a sales manager, companies like Sprint, eSolutions, eventually VP at a PGI, I believe, before you started your own venture. But before that, you've said on a previous podcast, you worked at a camera store and it was a guy called, I believe his name was Hunter, who got you into sales, started the camera store at 16, 17 or 18, you got into sales uh, as you're one of the top salespeople without even knowing it. So my question is not for you to tell the story. Do that if you wish. It's what were you doing unknowingly uh, that other people weren't doing that had you as, you know, probably their top asset in that company? So I'll, I'll bring you to the, the, the very point in time that uh, Hunter explained to me um, what I was doing and I didn't even realize it. So I was a photo finisher, meaning I was the guy sitting at the big giant, you know, six foot long machine, pressing red, magenta, cyan, uh, um, and, you know, printing out people's 35 millimeter uh, photos. Um, my, and, my brother was doing that yesterday, strangely enough. And I know you probably haven't heard that in about a decade, but he had a exactly. 104, 104 year old camera from my great grandfather and was 
uh, had put some new thing in it and then took a pictures and was getting developed. But strange. I just thought I'd say because it it's probably been about a decade. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more than a decade even. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure if you could find those machines around anymore, to be honest with you. Most of us have thrown out those cameras and gone pure digital. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I actually was a photo finisher and, and I applied to transfer over to Berkeley to go to UC Berkeley um, as a photo finisher. And he came in and he told me that he was going to, he denied the request. And, and I practically, my heart just fell to the floor and I just thought, oh my God, I need this job. I need to be able to pay my way through college. I don't have a job. Um, and so he said, I, I can't support that. And um, then he decided to pull out the stats and the stats essentially showed that as a photo finisher, I was actually leading in first, second or third place, the region for almost a whole year in sales. And um, he asked me, did you know that? And I was like, well, no, not really. And he's like, um, well, you must have seen like extra bonus things. And I was like, yeah, I just thought I would get, you know, extra, you know, commissions for this commissions for that, you know, those types of things. And um, he said, well, well, walk me through what are you doing? And uh, the, the story actually goes with, uh, you know, when we used to print the people's pictures, we used to take the pictures and open the box and then show the first couple of pictures and say, hey, are these yours to make sure that we're giving the right pictures to the individual. And so what I used to do is, is I used to take those pictures and I, you know, when you go through them, you have to look at every single picture to make sure that they were printed right, the right color, the right shading, the right, um, et cetera, uh, lighting. And I would grab all the bad pictures that could potentially be fixed um, as a result of having a potentially different camera. So I pull those out, put those to the top and I would say, hey, are these your pictures? And inevitably, as soon as someone saw the first picture, they'd be like, oh, that picture didn't come out. And I'd be like, yeah, it didn't come out. I just, you know, so these are obviously yours. Uh, and they said, yeah, they're like, what happened? And I said, well, you know, it, it's your camera. What camera are you using? And they would say, well, I'm using this camera. And I'm like, oh, well, if you're taking pictures of your son running in soccer, then, you know, that camera is not quick enough in terms of a shutter speed to be able to uh, create the, the picture that you want. And then inevitably, what do you think somebody would ask? Well, where can I get what? that camera? Exactly. Well, where's that camera? Like, what camera is that? And so I would say, oh, well, you know, I would recommend this one or this one. And they would say, you know, well, which one is the better of the two? And I said, well, you know, are you planning on doing this for the rest of your life? Or, you know, how long do you want to be doing soccer pictures? And they're like, I'm going to be in sports forever. Uh, you know, this is just an example. And so um, I would say, well, I would probably go with this camera and I would probably add on this particular lens. And this is this lens is going to help you do, you know, X, Y and Z. And then what you really want to make sure is you've got the right speed for film. And this is the film that you would want. And they would say, OK, well, how much is that? And I would say, well, you know, X dollars. And they would say, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, you know, but yeah, it's, if it's worth it to you, I mean, your, your reaction to this picture was essentially you were disappointed. So, you know, you got to make a decision of, do you want to keep getting disappointing pictures or would you rather have a camera that's going to help you capture the moments that you really want? And inevitably they would say, okay, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll get that. Or they would think about it and come back and they would get the camera. Yeah. So I would just be ringing up, you know, equipment without even realizing it. So I tell Hunter this story um, and as he pulls it out of me, like, what are you doing? And so finally I get to, you know, this is what I'm doing. And they just keep going. And then what would they say? And then what would you do? And then how would you, and I'm just telling him. And so he goes, so, so basically what you're telling me is all you're doing is helping a customer. And I stopped and I was like, yeah, I, I guess if you think of it that way, he's like, that's all you're doing. And he goes, and that's exactly what sales is all about. Sales is helping. And so now one of my um, uh, cardinal sayings, of course, is 
and you probably saw this in the Salesforce documentary movie that they produced about a movie about sales. Yes. And I, I was privileged. That's a big achievement. Yeah. I was privileged to be one of those 20 influencers that they brought in to be part of that movie. And my, my signature line inside that movie that uh, I was also privileged to have Benioff introduce my video uh, at, uh, at the sales keynote uh, two years ago at Dreamforce. And uh, he, it says inside there, sales is the art of helping. How and that's I essentially what I, what I did. And that's it. That, that was as simple as that. It came from that. And as if you think about, you know, what our, what our role is as salespeople, sales leaders, our job is to figure out how we can help our buyers achieve their goal and, and, their, and their mission. Whatever that goal is, whatever that mission is, is yeah. to be able to help in that regard. Exactly. How did that feel having Mark Benioff introduce you? Well, the funny part is, is I didn't even know. <laughs> so I'm actually at Dreamforce and I'm, I don't know where I was at. I was with some, 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 a group of people. And then all of a sudden I start getting text messages from like 15 different people. Dude, I'm over here at Dreamforce Sales Cloud and, and you're in the video that Mark just introduced. Like it was my section, my segment of video. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, I, it was so fast that I couldn't even record it. But then I, I heard your name and people I had not spoken to that I had worked with in past lives how were actually texting me and be like, dude, I can't believe it. You're up on the, on, on stage right now. So that, that was, uh, so how did it feel? I, I wasn't really there to be able to capture the moment, but it was kind of cool to get those, those messages. Too popular to even be there. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say well, that, but... <laughs> You've got a very good brand internationally, actually, even over here in Ireland and the UK. Uh, you're well known. You're in the charts a lot. Um, and with that, one of the things I wanted to touch on was that the story of sales, the Salesforce documentary. Um, and I guess my question is, what are some of the things or what, uh, what are things people spend way too much time on when trying to build a brand that, that you see? Hmm. I think um, when individuals, uh, whether, whether you're an entrepreneur or trying to be an influencer of some sort, um, or um, you have this goal and idea uh, to, to, to be a brand, if you would, um, they spend too much time on the gimmicks to capture attention, not enough time on the quality of the content. And both of those things are uber important. Yeah. Uh, so when I was coming up to the ranks, I remember reaching out to folks like Anthony Anarino, uh, a friend of mine, and um, Jill Conrath. And I, I had a chance to be able to have one-on-ones with them and said, listen, guys, you know, this is who I am. This is what my background is. You know, former VP of sales, 18 years of corporate sales experience. 15 of those 18 years were spent at President's Club or 100% Club. So it wasn't like a flyby type of salesperson or a sales leader. I actually had a track record to prove it, huh? And I, I ended up, you know, going after this particular path. And what I wanted to know was, is how do I become a sales influencer uh, to build this brand? And, uh, you know, everybody gave me all kinds of different p- tidbits of pieces of advice. And one of the biggest ones that was consistent across every person I spoke to was, you have to write a book, you have to write a book, you have to write mm-hmm. a book. And so what I knew um, for me was anytime, and I don't know what's, what, what, what's wrong with my head, but anytime someone says you have to do something to be able to get something, um, I'm the type of person that says, no, watch, I'll prove you that I don't have to do this to be able to get that. Uh, and I have to figure out what that, that, what the other thing is, right? And I, I didn't know. 
So I came up with this uh, idea of, well, you know what I'll do is, is um, I will um, be um, a leader in video content because not everybody was doing that and hardly anybody was doing that. And I will also do a podcast. So those are the two things that I decided to do was to be able to build my thought leadership audibly because I hate writing. In fact, I just picked up a book. Someone sent me a book for, the, for, uh, for me to read and, and I read the first 32 pages and then I closed it and said, I'm bored. But here's the thing. That's not just their book. It is the 270 books that I have in my cabinet back here. I pick it up and I cannot read past 50 pages because every book to me is boring. I don't like reading books. I'm a short form type of content guy, right? Mm. I want to read, I read 2000 blogs uh, per year and I watch, you know, I don't know, a thousand videos. Uh, it seems yeah. like per, per, per year, right? So I'm short form. This, this is what I am a short form. So I figured, you know, I will create short form video content. And then I will also create long form content, which is my podcast, the modern selling podcast. And mm -hmm. that is about 45 to 55 minutes uh, on average per episode. But all of it has to do with me speaking. So my strength I realized was not writing. Uh, it was speaking. Uh, and I could be a better speaker than I am a writer um, because writing just takes more time and more, more energy for me to, 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 to push out that type of content. So that's what I did was is um, not only is create those, those gimmicks, those hooks, those thumbnails that are going to bring people in, which are super important. But once someone got in, whether or not there was valuable content inside of there. And yeah. that's when I, one of the things I think people are struggle with, especially if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, is you're creating a brand. Um, and you're doing all these things that are the right, that get you the right clicks. Once someone gets into that piece of content, do they say it's a value? Do they recognize the value immediately? Are you telling um, the story with a story? Uh, are you identifying how you're going, this is going to help people? And those are the things that are really missing from a lot of people's content. In fact, funny as it may be, we just did a review. Um, uh, you know, our focus is all around prospecting for Vingresso, teaching sellers how to be better prospectors through skills-based training. And so we have this article that we are um, uh, trying to get to page one, and it's the definitive guide to um, prospecting. And it is our uh, second longest blog on Vingresso, uh, the Vingresso.com site. We have over 3,000 blogs on there. It is the second longest. It is uh, what I would argue one of my best pieces that I've ever done. And it's sitting on page number two. And we did a review of all the ones on page number one. And you could tell on page number one, all of them, every one of them were written by some content marketer who was able to actually get the content to rank because they understood how to do SEO really, really well. But there was no depth, no volume, no takeaways that I as a leader or a rep can go and implement. It was the scratch the surface uh, type of content that's all sitting on page number one. But if you look at our definitive guide, this I have actually had customers who have picked up the phone or emailed me and said to me, I read the definitive guide. We actually took it and we start, started implementing the, that exact cadence within our SDR and BDR program. Uh, and that happened as early as last week when I had a customer, a VP of sales, reach out to me and tell me that. So um, that having been said, I, I think what people need to understand is you've got to bring the gimmicks. You've got to bring the catchy things. You've got to bring the things that are going to make you stand out from the crowd. Yes, check the box. Mm -hmm. But once they get into that content, 
What do they find? Does it have depth? And is it backed by experience or at least some sort of some data? And maybe it's not your data. Maybe it's somebody else's data. So that's what I would say to that. And that was a long answer to your question. No, no, I, I, I welcome when the guest talks more. One thing I am going to do, though, is I'm going to put a note for myself to make sure that I leave a, a link to your definitive guide in the uh, show notes below. But a couple more questions before we finish up. Any listeners who are looking to build a brand, one thing that you may notice yourself doing is typing the same message again and again and again, copying and pasting. The man himself here has the answer for you. Fly message. It is a lifesaver. Can you tell people more about what fly message is and how you can save them hours upon hours of time? Hey, man, I love what you just said. And I might just put your face and your statement here on, uh, on our website with that, with that uh, social proof. Uh, so thanks for being a user of Fly Message as well. So Fly Message, uh, it is a, a sales messaging text expander tool. And I like to think of it as uh, sales messaging on steroids uh, or speed writing. Think of it as speed writing. Mm. Um, so this was actually developed by sales people, our customers, who kept coming to us and said, man, you've got 28 page playbook with all these different types of scripts in your training program, over 70 different scripts. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's beautiful. They work, right? But I don't remember all of these inside there. And I have to come back and I have to copy and paste. It would be great if there was some sort of like online tool that I could just, you know, copy and paste from a template, or I could, you know, use some sort of short code or quick code. So we actually incorporated early on into our training, a tool called auto text expander, a free Chrome uh, uh, extension. <clears throat> now auto text expander and every text expander tool out there was developed by software engineers, software. And when you're doing development in code, you're going to you, you reuse code over and over and over and over again, right? And mm -hmm. so they have these short codes, if you would. You can type out, you know, three letters, dash, you know, D-I-F as an example. Uh, and then boom, up pops up the code in your string of, of, of content and away you keep going. So we took that concept and we uh, said, well, what if we could build out sales messaging templates in an online way so that no matter what computer you went to across any Chrome browser, um, whether you're using it on LinkedIn, Salesforce, HubSpot, Gmail, anywhere online, that you could have access to your templates. And that's essentially what we did. We built Fly Message, Fly, F-L-Y-M-S-G.io, uh, or you can go to vingresso.com and you can um, uh, get access to it there. And with that in mind, Fly Message was really designed by salespeople saying, man, if I could ju just increase my productivity, right now I've got it saved in Word, Google Docs, a draft email. I've got all my scripts and a yeah, draft email. Evernote, uh, OneNote, uh, Google, uh, Google Notes, right? All these things that people had. And we've now taken that and consolidated into one place on a Chrome browser that allows you anywhere on the web to um, build out anything. And so you can use it as a, as a business owner. I use it for whenever I get a message <clears throat> from, um, for financial related taxes, those types of things. I end up uh, having a, a short code called dash finance MSG, all one word, all one phrase. And I just type in dash finance MSG 
and boom, up pops up two sentences to the finance team that is consistent and regular. Hey, uh, uh, Don, can you please make sure that you file this document in the right spot inside of our, our secure drive and please address this confirm when completed. Okay, now that's all I write, right? And so I just type in, you know, 10 letters, boom, 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 and it pops up, hit send. So that's the idea behind fly messages to increase our productivity. Now in the sales world, uh, we have a template called dash cold template. So if I'm reaching out to you and I'm sending you a cold message, we have a whole entire template that's built out that's really structured around our PVC sales methodology. Or maybe I wanna connect with you on LinkedIn and I wanna know what, what's that perfect connection request message. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or maybe I have a uh, message that I use when a customer is uh, stiff arming me and they're not responding to me, right? Maybe I want to be able to have a, a, a promote a new webinar and I want to reach out to sales leaders and invite them to be able to join in uh, to this particular webinar. Regardless of the use case, you have the ability to be able to create that piece of content inside of Fly Message and with a few short keystrokes, have that message be repeatable and keep popping up over and over and over again. We also built it in when, when, when our customers asked us, they said, hey, can you make sure that we can at least bring in attachments, pictures, videos, all those things that can be brought in. And we brought that functionality directly into the freemium version. And I'm really proud of FlyMessage because boy, the, the response that we've gotten from the marketplace has been truly amazing that individuals recognize the need for speed, but at the same time, consistency in the messaging that works. And that's where FlyMessage came to be. So uh, flymessage.io, it's available in the Chrome store. Go to vingresso.com or flymessage.io and you'll bounce directly to, uh, to, uh, to, the, to the landing page. I've got three questions left. Uh, the, the third last one is, the answer to this might be no, but is there a commonly held belief? Oh, that's Siri. Is there a commonly held belief um, about your industry that you passionately disagree with? Uh, well, <laughs> one of the things that I um, passionately uh, disagree with um, is that sales leaders believe that you can hand off a um, tool like LinkedIn or a, a video tool uh, from Hippo Video as an example. Uh, or Vidyard, or OneMob, or any of those things, and you can go at forth and be successful. And most of us don't even understand, especially those that are the VP and above, we're 45 and older for VPs and above, generally speaking, mm -hmm. and most of us don't even understand what is good or what is bad. Why? Because we never did it. Mm -hmm. We didn't do it that way. So we truly don't understand what is good versus what is bad. And with that in mind, um, that is one of the, I would say commonly held uh, uh, misnomers or, or beliefs is that I can, uh, the millennials that are out there, oh, they know how to LinkedIn. Uh, the, 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 the folks in my sales organization, psh, they, they, they've been doing LinkedIn their whole, their whole life, right? But if you look at their individual profiles, guess what? When a buyer goes back to that profile because they engaged with them somehow through social media, 72% at a minimum, 72% are going to click back on that, on that seller's profile. And what do they find? What they find is quota crushing sales rep, all-time yeah. president's club earner, uh, seasoned executive 
knowledgeable in whatever it might be. Really? So you think your sellers know how to use LinkedIn when they're using it in a sales environment? Though that messaging that I just repeated is the messaging that you, that you would have if you're looking for a job. So what does that mean when a buyer comes back to your seller's profile? Just using that as the simple example. It means that your buyer thinks that the seller who's calling on them is also looking for a job. And so yeah. that's what I say is, is that I think the misnomer is, is that we can give technology to our sellers and say, go forth and be successful. The other misnomer that's tied to that is, oh, I can get my social media manager and get them to train my sales guys. Yeah, right. When was the last time you walked into a sales training program and the trainer did not provide his or her credentials on why they are standing in front of the room? So do you think that our sellers of any age, 25 and older, even take the, the, the older guys like us, 45 and older, that we're going to stand and sit there or sit and listen to a social media manager, the 28-year-old social media manager, by the way, no offense, because I also mm -hmm. do social media as well, but have them tell us what we're supposed to do the right way to be able to hit our quota when mm -hmm. they have never carried a bag? No, 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 you're smoking. And that's the thing that, that, that I would say is, is those misnomers there are single-handedly the areas that sales leaders forget of what to do and how to do what is right. Case in point, when we were growing up and learning how to cold call, mm -hmm. we sat in a cube next to somebody else and we put the Y connector on and the headpiece on and we listened to them make calls. We did that for a week and we'd go from rep to rep to rep to learn style, methodology, process, what they did, right? Then we flip it around. We were now asked to make those same cold calls and guess who plugged up to our Y connector? Our manager. And then he or she would coach us through the process, what you said, how you said it, those types of things. And then they would unplug after another week and you're on your own. So we went through an intensive 60 plus hours worth of training on how to cold call. And now with sales, we've taken new mediums to create outreach, LinkedIn, video, text, email, direct mail. And we just gave our reps a tool and said, go forth and be successful. But we actually never gave them the 60 hours worth of training that they got yeah. when we were cold calling. That is a travesty. And that is a huge mistake that I think sales leaders are making. Hang on. And I'd never thought about the whole uh, quota carrying kind of references that, yeah, even if they don't want to admit it, it's kind of a way of advertising themselves. Hundred um, percent. But to the second last question is: um, uh, all your loved ones are safe, but your house is burning down, and you can only save one item. What one item is that going to be? From my house? Oh mm -hmm. my gosh! I I'll tell you what it'd be. It'd be one photo album, <clears throat> and the photo album is uh, of my son's baby pictures because I didn't buy the digital copies for that album. <laughs> <laughs> everything else in my life honest to goodness pretty much almost everything else in my digital. life is is digital so i could literally the whole entire house could burn down today i can get a brand new computer within 24 hours and be back up and running with no problem all i do is mm. hit on log on to all my little connections to dropbox to google to everything else and i'm, I'm back up and running my life has not been hurt uh, so I would probably say that photo album is probably the only thing that is not digitalized, di digitized, excuse me. I'd like you to imagine that we're now talking as if it's the year 2030. So we're in the year 2030 
and you're looking back on the last decade, you can answer this personally or professionally, but what would you like to be looking back on? Uh, that I made it personally, um, that I ended up making a decision to move to Hawaii and mm -hmm. that I it made a decision to move to Latin America and uh, to also uh, move to uh, Southeast Asia. And that that decision was an awesome decision from an experience perspective for my boys. Uh, so that's one of our goals and that's one of our, our, our missions in life. Um, and I think we're gonna hit that starting this year, as a matter of fact, because I just refinanced my house at, at the crazy low, super low interest rates, the two point you know, something it is. Um, and that now affords me the opportunity to be able to rent out my house um, and not uh, be underwater. But I, I definitely have always wanted to give my boys that experience of living in different um, uh, countries uh, and areas, not only to be able to experience um, what it was like to travel, but also to experience culture uh, and um, seeing what, what, it, what it is that we may not see um, here in the domestic U.S., and my boys, um, you know, I grew up in a very poor background. Um, my boys, um, fortunately, did not have, are not having to have the same uh, challenges that I saw as growing up. Um, but it doesn't mean that it didn't shape me for the person that I am today. And mm. those are the things that I want my children to see, because those, that's how you become a more compassionate uh, individual, in my opinion. Amazing. I actually love that answer. Um, Mario Martinez, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you a little more over the last 35 minutes. I wish you and your two boys and your wife nothing but the best going forward to whatever the hell you end up in the future. But for me, thank you for being my guest today. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I super enjoyed it and great questions, by the way.